Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. <laughs> this episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink. Your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> What's up, guys? Third and final same place opponent. We are back. And uh, we got uh, the San Francisco 49ers who, when we last saw them, were on a four-game losing streak coming into Soldier Field for our Week 7 matchup. Uh, of course, uh, Jimmy G and company were too much for us uh, on that day. It was just another in a string of uh, disappointment. Uh, for the Bears, you know, Justin Fields, that crazy fourth and one uh, touchdown run that get us right back into the ball game. All we need is the defense to get us the ball back. And, you know, who knows what can happen here? And instead, five plays, 75 yards later, uh, another Jimmy G rushing touchdown in the ball ballgame uh, was over. So, um, yeah. Anyway, um, as you hear our friend Oscar Aparicio uh, tell us, um, that wasn't the real turning point for the season, but it definitely, you know, uh, plugged up the holes in the dam, uh, if you will, you know, because they lost the very next week uh, after that. It was the, he thinks it was the following week after that loss that, the you know, where the Rams, I believe, beat the Cardinals, where he feels like the season turned around, or, or not the Rams, where the 49ers beat the Cardinals or where they beat the Rams, one of the two. Um, that's where the season really kind of, turned on its head but them ending their four game losing streak in soldier field they went like eight and three the rest of the way uh after that uh qualified for the playoffs and as we know um <clears throat> excuse me they went ahead and and uh you know won in dallas with that crazy finish where dak prescott decided it was a good idea to run on fourth and 16 and uh when they had no timeouts and 11 seconds left or whatever it was and then the following week the you know robbie gold kicking the field goal to send the packers home um was uh pretty great as well and they made a hell of a run at it. They were just a few plays away from going to the Super Bowl and, uh, you know, possibly beating the Bengals or, or what have you. But, um, you know, it, it also comes with big expectations for this season, but also mixed expectations because Jimmy G is is injured, rehabbing, but likely on his way out because it's time for Trey Lance to take over uh, after being the number three overall pick last year. Uh, time for him to uh, take over the starting reins and move forward. So we talked to Oscar uh, about that. A lot of expectations with this football team, but can they maintain? You know, Jimmy G was no, uh, you know, wizard or whatever, but he did lead the team to two very successful uh, playoff runs, one where they went to the Super Bowl and just fell short, and another where they just about went to the Super Bowl uh, last year. You know, he wasn't the brilliant Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers leading his team, but he was definitely a big part of why the 49ers got as far as they did. So um, moving on from him and giving Trey Lance uh, his shot, it's a risk, but it's one they have to take. They gave up three first-round picks to draft the kid, and uh, they got to see what they're going to be able to uh, do with him. Real quick, before we get into uh, this episode, I did want to talk about something, kind of a, a little bit of a news and notes thing before we get started here. Uh, and that was the, the Bears are, are in the midst of their, their OTAs this week. As a matter of fact, today on Thursday uh, was the last one. And um, <laughs> this week, the Bears were punished or whatever by the NFL for uh, having uh, contact in previous OTA 
practices uh, and their initial punishment was to cancel so they lose a practice on Tuesday. I don't see how that's exactly a punishment, but whatever. Um but I just I find the whole thing hilarious uh to be honest with you because only in today's NFL where they're where, you know it was like I'm all for player safety. Absolutely. So don't get me wrong uh about that. I'm all for the player safety. I'm all for being as cautious as humanly possible, especially in this time of the year. Um, but I'm also of the thought that the number, and of course I have no stats to back this up. This is just more of a feeling than anything else. But I think a lot of you would agree with me when I say that ever since they made that, ever since they signed the, the they as in the NFL and the NFL Players Association signed the 2011 CBA, where they basically eliminated Contact in football practice. Injuries have spiked. You know, football is one of those rigorous, dangerous collision sports. Um, It's also one that you have to prepare your body for in order to be able to sustain, to to, to take the the punishment as well as deliver it uh, when the games get real. And, um, you know, you guys have heard like the, when I had Emery Moorhead on the show for the very first time, I asked him and I said, you know, with someone who works closely with the Players Association and helping retired players, it's a lot of what Emery does. Um, I asked him, I was like, do you think that there's any truth to my theory that injuries have gone up since they basically stopped allowing football players to practice football during football practice? And he wholeheartedly agreed with me. And, and my personal example was um, when I was playing football in high school and a little bit that I did play in college, um, at the very beginning of camp in the summer, my arms, my forearms from my fingertips all the way up to my shoulders would be covered in bruises for the first week or two uh, of camp. And that was because my body had about six months off where I wasn't beating the shit out of something or ramming my body into something padded or hard or something like that. And for two weeks, roughly a week and a half, two weeks, I'm covered like I've been beaten with metal bars all day long. But after my body, quote unquote, got used to it during the season, pads or no pads, there were no bruises on my arms. My body had gotten used to the, my, you know, had toughened itself, you know, or whatever to get prepared for the season. My body adjusted. It got itself ready for the rigors of a football season. And even though I was doing the same things, hitting the, hitting the same things in the same way and all that kind of stuff, my forearms, my arms, my shoulders were not covered in bruises throughout the football season because your body was conditioned. Cause you, you hear people talk all the time when a guy comes back from injury it's one thing for him to be in shape, and it's another thing entirely for him to be in football shape. And football shape means that your body is ready for football, for the collisions and the rigors and what your body is going to be demanded of during a football season. And I find it hilarious that the Bears... Uh As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Uh, are being punished by the NFL for doing that, for practicing football in football practice and, you know, with the way the game was intended and getting punished for it you know like there were some people out there tweeting like oh what a huge misstep for the new regime no it's not it really isn't you know i i don't think there was anything overt uh about it as far as like you know something the bears were intentionally uh doing 
Um, you know, from the, the things that I've been hearing from the media coming from the, you know, after like on Wednesday and again today when, uh, you know, they were talking to players, it was more about, I think it had more to do about with Matt Eberflus's new philosophy, the hits philosophy, the hus- H hustle being the first one in there that these guys haven't really discovered where the line is yet on how hard they're supposed to go uh, in these practices. And, you know, the, the coaches and the coaching staff are preaching aggressiveness, being, you know, hits, hustle is the first one, I is intensity. So, you know, they want us to take it up a few notches from, you know, the over, over, uh, overdone walkthroughs that Matt Nagy and company were putting them through. And they're still learning it, basically. So I don't think this was a, you know, like old school, like, you know, you don't get water if you don't get it right kind of practice uh, or anything like that. I think they were telling these guys to crank up the volume a little bit. And sometimes the line got blurred or they crossed it. Big deal. So I don't look at this as some kind of huge error or some kind of black eye for Eberflus and company. I think it was our football coach getting our football players to play football. That's all I think it was. So if they cross the line a little bit, I'm sure they haven't the last two days uh, when they've been practicing after uh, the punishment. I don't think they're taking it easier either, but maybe they're being a little bit more cautious than they were before. You know, maybe pull up a little bit next time instead of running through the guy while we're in shirts and, and shorts. So anyway, I just kind of thought it was laughable that some people out there were, were, were you know, laughing at the, at the Bears for having this happen and uh, whatever. And I'm, I'm over here applauding. This is exactly what I want to hear. I want to hear that we're being aggressive. I want to hear that we're going for it in practice. Even in these OTA practices where it's shirts and shorts and there's no real contact allowed uh, or anything. You know, I, I really would wish that they could find some kind of happy medium um, in the CBA to where we're bringing football back to football practice. Because I, I really do think, like, I mean, just remember, we talked about it in going into the 2020 season where, you know, because of COVID, I mean, there was even less football being practiced going into it. And I thought that week one of the 2020 season was going to be a goddamn bloodbath because these guys have gone from basically pillow fighting for the last few months, even in, in training camp, they're, they're, they have to go through COVID protocols and all that kind of stuff to going from zero to 60 week one, like from doing nothing to having to do it all top speed, full tilt uh, in, 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 in football in, in the games. I just thought it was going to be one major injury after another because these guys' bodies were not ready for this. And I was wrong. It didn't happen in week one. It happened in week two. Somehow they kind of survived. It was a fairly uneventful week one as far as injuries were concerned. But week two, that's where the defending NFC champion, NFC, uh, the 49ers, lost like five guys in that game against the Jets. And it started happening all over the league. Guys coming down with torn hamstrings and ACLs and shoulder injuries and, and all that kind of stuff. Because they're doing what they've been trained to do their whole lives, which is go hard in football. But they... Their bodies aren't really ready for it. So I would like to, even in these OTA sessions, even in, uh, you know, in training camp, and especially during the football season, to, to kick, the, kick the practice, the contact in practice up a tick or two. Um, you know, like when we, when we did talk to Emery, we talked to him prior to the 2019 season, specifically about training camp and what it was like under Ditka. And these were practices where, or training camps where they're practicing three times a day, two to three hours of practice, full contact all the time. And I know this was a different era and there were different standards and level of care for the players back then, but you've, you've heard it in interviews from those players, from Hampton, from uh, McMichael, from Tom Thayer, from, you know, Walter Payton, Jim McMahon, or was it like those the practices were harder than the actual games. Like the games were a breeze compared to what Ditka was putting them through during the week because they were ready because they had seen the worst of it. And now they were going to go out and take it out on the other guys. And I, I would, I want to, I want the NFL to find a happy medium between those two extremes, you know, to, to not kick up the intensity a little bit, let the football players 
hit each other and practice football so their bodies are more ready. I swear, I know, even though we're asking more of them in those you know, practices and, and training camps and such, I, I just know in my heart that if we do that, we'll see the injuries tick down a little bit. I really do believe that. So anyway, let me step down off my soapbox and let's get on with this episode. Uh, our good friend Oscar Aparicio, uh, formerly of the Better Rivals podcast, is uh, here to speak with us about the San Francisco 49ers. So let's go ahead and dive right in. This is the third Same Place Opponent preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. out loud. For our third and final Same Place Opponent, not only do we have the team that had the best record of the three same place opponents, but this was a team that was a few moments away from being the best team in the NFL uh, last year, which is a very different position than uh, from when we last spoke to our uh, to our guest for uh, today. It's our good friend Oscar Aparicio here to uh, help us preview the 2022 San Francisco 49ers. Oscar, welcome back, man. It is always a pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me. So we, when, we, when we did talk, we were previewing week number eight between the Bears and the 49ers, where at the time, the Bears were 3-3, three and three, but the 49ers were 2-4 and four on a four-game uh, losing streak uh, at the time. I mean, they lost a couple of close. It was like all one-score games except for that loss to Indianapolis. But, you know, nonetheless, they started 2-0. They lost four straight coming into Soldier Field, kind of wounded and struggling, and... You know, call me crazy, but it almost looks like that's where the season kind of turned on its head. It's like, what what changed from that win? Because with that win in Chicago, you go like, what, eight and eight and three or something like that the rest of the way uh, to be good enough to make the playoffs. Yeah, the only teams the Niners lost to after the game against you all was the Arizona Cardinals, which we'll talk about because that's a big one, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, and then the Tennessee Titans. And after that, it was basically... On a tear uh, yeah. through, uh, and and they beat the Rams in the the final week of the season, which you know that they basically had the, the Rams number. It, it almost it started to turn against the game uh, against the Chicago Bears, yeah. it, and then they lost to the Arizona Cardinals, which were at that time helmed by Colt McCoy. So that you know kind of took some sting off of the rise, but sure. really it was the game against the Rams that that really brought them back. They won thirty one to ten. What did they do? They started running the ball again in a way that really began to, to minimize Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think in, in part because they could. Early on in, this, in the season, they had really a, a tough stretch. The Green Bay Packers, uh, you know, it was, it was a tight game they lost. The Seattle Seahawks were not very good, um, and Arizona always plays them well. But divisional games are always a little wonky, as I'm sure you're well aware. Sure. Um, and, and so I think that was just kind of a weird, tough part of their schedule. They had some injuries. And I think D'Amico Ryans is a defensive coordinator, too was really starting to figure out what he could do and when with his defense. And I think he went with a few man, more man concepts early in the year, especially against Green Bay that cost them on third downs. And he really settled in on the back half of the year. So I think you combine the Niners getting back to being a bit more efficient running the football, the defense getting a little bit better, D'Amico Ryan's figuring out how to better call games, and then Jimmy Garoppolo just playing better in the second half of the year, not making so many boneheaded turnovers as he is prone to do. And, you know, you put that together with Kyle Shanahan and, and the rest of the coaching staff and, and you get the kind of run they had at the end of the year. So were you guys were you getting some guys back? Is that what kind of strengthened the team as you as you went down the stretch there? I don't know that that was necessarily it. Um, you know, I think that the the big loss and the big issue was at cornerback. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think Emmanuel Mosley came back a little bit later in the year. But Jason Verrett was out for the year. The team has re-signed him as like a one-year flyer, even though he's perpetually injured. Right. Do not expect him to contribute meaningfully to the team. But, hey, if it works out, he's when he is healthy, which seems to be his, you know, other last name, then he he could produce in a backup role. But really, it was corner. That was an issue for the 49ers. And so if they were able to stay in a positive game script and they were able to control the game with their running game, which they were able to do because they came up on Elijah Mitchell, who was a revelation as a rookie. And and so they, they had someone who could really run the ball in the way that Shanahan needed and wanted. Um, and, and that was helpful, I think, because Raheem Mostert never came back. He had season-ending surgery. He is now no longer a 49er. Right. And so really, Elijah Mitchell uh, and, and really Debo Samuel. I mean, that mm-hmm. was not the guy that came back, but the guy that started to get utilized really more so like a running back in that Rams game. And, and that's really what uncorked the 49ers run offense. I mean, as a running back, 
he was one of, if not the most efficient runner in the NFL. And that was despite the fact that he was on pace for a thousand yard season, even before he started being used as a running back. Um, so it was really a lot of Debo Samuel, I think, that that helped him. Well, it was certainly Samuel that broke that game wide open uh, with the Bears. I mean, I, I had I do this. Um, segment during the watching the games between each quarter I record what I call a knee-jerk reaction and the whole time in that first half you know the Bears are moving the football they're moving it up and down the field but they weren't able to close the deal and put the ball in the end zone we had like four red zone trips and only one touchdown to speak of and I'm like you know this is just leaving the door wide open that the 49ers could be one play away from either being right back in this thing or in 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 the lead and sure enough that's exactly what happened on third and 19 deep in your own goal line for you know for Pete's sake they throw that swing pass out to Samuel that really was kind of a throwaway play let's get what we can get get us get our heels out of the uh off of the goal line here and the next thing you know initially it was ruled a touchdown but then they called it back to like what the three or four yard line or whatever but it was like all st- full steam ahead after that play yeah i mean that's and that's exactly the explosiveness that he brought to the the end of the year really i mean he had an insane touchdown score rate when he had more touchdowns outside of seven yards um, than anyone really in the league. So, like, the runs are explosive, and, and you knew what kinds of run were going to come. I mean, if he lined up in the backfield, he was getting the ball three out of four times. Mm-hmm. And he was running inside. He was running gap plays. He was running zones. Um, you know, the, the Shanahan really did start to unleash a lot of really creative zone runs with them, some counter runs. He was being used like a running back, um, and he was also a very, very good wide receiver. So, I think that, that that definitely is what helped kind of uncork the back half of the season for the 49ers. And now with, with his contract dispute and him wanting to get traded, I think that's all kind of cooled off. Very recently, John Lynch was in a uh, an event, I think maybe it was for Bryant Young, since he's going to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And he said that, you know, things have progressed and he expects Debo to be a Niner next year and into the future. So I think most of the posturing is done now that we're post-draft and, mm-hmm. and he's likely going to get a lot of dollars um, and he deserves them. So let's talk about the the end run. You know, going from the the loss to the Seahawks, you guys go on a what seven and one run, something like that, before the the NFC Championship game, and and you know it it all, it all kind of started with that win over the the Bengals. That the I, mean, I, I got to watch like the last ten minutes of that game and into overtime. A really really fun back and forth battle between those two, with the Forty ers coming out on top there. Uh, at the end, that that crazy touchdown um, was it? Who was it that scored the, at the end of the game? There was it like Kittle or something like that that scored at the end to win that one in Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean it was an overtime win. Um, yeah, it, it was it was it was close and it was weird because the the Bengals I felt like had the firepower to really attack the 49ers' weaknesses and and they just didn't. They didn't until the second half, and, and the Niners were really dominating that first half. And then when the, the Bengals decided, oh, yes, we have T. Higgins, and he's going up against who? On the, oh, that's right. No one knows who the third cornerback is for the 49ers <laughs> at that point because, you know, at that point they were cycling through bodies, and whomever, you know, was there that week was the person who was covering what, the base, the best, I think, wide receiver group in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And and so they really started to climb back into it, and luckily the Niners eked one out in overtime. But, um, but yeah, it, it, was, it was a fun game, and, and for whatever reason, something, I, I think it just points to the inherent conservatism of a lot of offensive play callers in the NFL, but they're like, oh, they like to play this, this zone shell. You know, it's really hard to pick apart, uh, pick apart a zone shell, and sometimes it's like, yeah, but we've got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, yeah. And and they're staring at Dante Johnson um, or Darquise Denard, who was a nickel at one point and maybe in line to start to be a nickel for the Niners this year. It, it, sometimes, you know, just throw it to Jamar and he's going to be better than the guy across from him. Yeah. Um, and that's what happened in the back half. And I think that's why that game was so fun. Yeah, that was how they scored that touchdown on like fourth down uh, to tie the game at 20 to send it uh, to overtime. Burrow just hung one up down the sideline uh, to chase and he went up and got it and touchdown. And now we got a tie ball game. We're going to to overtime but i mean a few twists and turns and that's a super bowl rematch just a few weeks later uh if not for the nfc championship game but when we get into the playoffs that wild card round the the win over the cowboys and that crazy finish and then just the the utter dominance on defense from the from the 49ers in that one and then robbie gold the former bear with the chef's kiss finish sending the packers home rat bastards um, you know, and then going to the NFC title game to uh, to see if you could stick it to the Rams a third time, not only beating them 
on their home turf, but then playing the Super Bowl two weeks later uh, at the same time. I mean, talk about the ultimate bragging rights that the 49ers had been able to pull that one off. Yeah, the playoffs were a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. And really all the way from from week 17 on for different reasons. Week 17 was fun because that we got to see Trey Lance play against the Houston Texans, and that was a full game that he started after nearly a year in the system. So it was, it was a good little barometer to see where he was at. And then the win in overtime against the Rams in week 18 to really secure the playoff spot because the thing about the way the season ended, if the Niners lose that game because of the the weird tiebreaker scenarios with the Eagles and, and, and a couple of other teams, basically it was the Saints, the Eagles, and the Niners. If the Niners don't win against the Rams, I think they would have missed the playoffs because they would have they would have lost on some weird third tiebreaker uh to to the Eagles and the the Saints and so it was it was close they had to win that game and they did in overtime they thumped Dallas I was at the game against the Cowboys and it was a lot of fun to see Cowboys fans well the ones that were barely there because Niners had a fair contingent there as they do whenever they travel right. uh, see them all melt down it was a lot of fun um but yeah I think really you think of the back half of the year especially the game against the Packers D'Amico Ryans really began to emerge as a story and really came into his own as a coordinator. I mean, what they were able to do, the snow helped, granted, the snow helped, but what they were able to do against Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, he really began to, where I think early in the year he deployed some of this, like, too high shell and, and two under, two man under, and some, like, third down man coverage packages that really the team wasn't quite built for and couldn't execute well. He deployed them a little differently and in different spots near the end of the year. And especially against Green Bay, he had sim pressures, which he only ran like two or three sim pressures all year. And two of them were against Green Bay. Really laid down kind of inflection point calls that were you know, kind of big boy calls that really, really were successful against Green Bay. Things that I think Aaron Rodgers hadn't seen before. And I mean, not in his career, but from the Niners. Um, and, and it really began to, to, to seal that game and, and put them in a position to win from that block punt. Yeah, I mean that was um that was a crazy moment the the block punt going in for the uh for the touchdown but I mean I just thought you know the, it was I was I thought we were in for a, for a real fight when when Green Bay takes the opening drive down there and scores the scores the touchdown and then it was 3 points the rest of the way after an opening drive they were they only scored 3 points um, special teams did them in as it basically had all season long. I mean, the Bears almost beat the the Packers a few weeks earlier on the strength of special teams plays and uh, and things like that. And it you know really turned out to be one heck of a weakness uh, for them. Something that they did try to refocus on uh, during the off season. And then the NFC title game, another classic uh, back and forth. You could sense the you know the uh, the tenseness between the two teams and, and the rivalry and, and really wanting to, you know, the Rams not wanting to allow them to allow themselves to be beaten a third time, uh, you know, by that the 49ers really wanting to, you know, turn this season into a, to, into a hell of a story and, and go from, you know, two and four and on a four game losing streak to being the NFC representative in, in the Super Bowl. And it was just a few, few twists and turns away from being able to make that happen. Yeah, you know, it really did come down to, I think, Stafford versus Garoppolo, mm. you know, and, and I think Garoppolo is a limited quarterback and he is, I think, a quarterback that you, um, you know, he can take you to a Super Bowl. He can lose you a Super Bowl. Um, he can put you almost in a position to win a Super Bowl for three quarters and then overthrow Emmanuel Sanders. He, um, you know, he can throw it to Jalen Ramsey pretty clearly and have Jalen Ramsey drop an interception <laughs> as he did in the game against the Rams. Um, and, and meanwhile, I think you look at at what Stafford was doing on the other side, and, and he was completing those passes that he needed to complete. And and I think that the they match up really well against the Rams because the Rams, they also got into a pattern when they play the 49ers where they like to just play with a high shell, a two high shells. It's what defenses are doing nowadays. And, and rotate into that kind of single high shell sometimes. But the Niners are a, a team that's built for bully ball. And if they're going to, okay, if you're going to line up with two high safeties, that's, that's cool. We're going to run down your throat, and that's what we're going to choose to do. Um, and, and the Rams, especially in the season, they were, like, continuing to stick to that two high shell. It wasn't until later in the, the NFC Championship game where they thought to themselves, okay, we're not going to let them run, and, and we're going to force Jimmy Garoppolo to beat us. And, and Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't. Right. So we uh, we move on to the to the off season, and you know, correct me if I'm if, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not really seeing any big moves uh, from the 49ers here. I mean, you signed Javarius Ward from uh, 
from Kansas City. Uh, George Odom, the safety from Indianapolis. Oren Burks, um, from inside linebacker from Green Bay. Ray Ray McLeod from uh, Pittsburgh. These seem more like more, more like role players than guys that are kind of come in and make uh, any kind of immediate impact on the roster. The, you're mostly right. I would say the only difference is Charverius Ward. Um, mm-hmm. I think Charverius Ward is a really, really good signing, and he is a, a press man machine, and that's what the Niners really ask of their outside corners. In that cover three scheme, you're basically going to be guarding the sideline. Um, and if you're going to have like an inbreaker from the number one receiver, you might pass them off. Or, and you're usually going to follow them in true kind of man coverage because um, the Niners do like to play, you know, a lot of zone behind it. So you've got the hook zone that you can kind of pass them off to. But the Chavarius Ward, I think, was an area they needed at corner was an area they needed to address. We mm-hmm. talked about the problems with the cornerback last year. And, and I think that he really was kind of a value signing when you look at what he does well press coverage and when you look at what the Niners really ask of their corners he fits Um, and he is I think slotting in as the starting cornerback and that has a ripple effect across the defense because now your starting number one corner last year was Emmanuel Mosley and I think he's a solid player but he's by no means a number one corner but now you've got Ward as your first corner and you've got now Emmanuel Mosley as your second string or your, your opposite side corner to him and the Niners drafted Ambry Thomas last year, who they're high on. I don't know if he's going to pan out, but now you've got him. You've got Diamondor Lenore. Like everyone just kind of gets pushed down a slot, which means you get a little, a little bit more depth, and depth is really what, what cost them a lot of times last season, especially against the Indianapolis game. I mean, they were just getting bombs chucked on them by Carson Wentz, and they made him look good, um, even though Carson right. Wentz is not. <laughs> um, so, so I do think that, that that is the biggest signing. And the other big thing is yet to come. Uh, and that is getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. Yeah, we'll talk about that here in, in, in just a moment. Um, when I was um, looking at the free agents, additions, and subtractions uh, and whatnot, I was kind of um, looking down the list. It's like, man, the, the Niners signed a lot of defensive linemen, but then I looked at your free agent losses, and it was basically like uh, looks like what, what Lynch was doing was basically replacing you know, guys that you – Lost because you seem to sign one defensive lineman for every one that you uh, lost. Like Arden Key is gone, DJ Jones uh, is gone. Uh, who else was on that list that I saw? Cantavia Street. But then there was like a corresponding roster move that filled in uh, the spot that was empty. Yeah, you know you got to stay true to the brand. Yeah. When you're known for drafting and signing all of the defensive linemen you can possibly sign, uh, you got to keep doing it. You, know? <laughs> right. you got you to maintain brand integrity. Do you know nothing about how this works? <laughs> and honestly, it's it's <laughs> it really is the defensive coach, the defensive line coach, Chris Kasurik. He's basically a money printing machine for a defensive lineman who wants to go get paid somewhere. Sure. I mean, you look at Kerry Hyder. He got. I think something like eight or, or nine sacks when he had his one year with the Niners when basically they had no one rushing the passer. They were, they were a lot of cleanup sacks. They were not high-quality sacks. But some team, the Seattle Seahawks, saw the sack numbers and were like, ooh, let's go get him. They paid him way more money than he probably should have gotten, and now he's back with the 49ers on a much more reasonable one-year deal. Um, same thing with Arden Key. I think Arden Key did hurt to lose a little bit because I do think that his talent finally got unlocked in San Francisco as a three-technique rusher, as another rusher who you know kind of plays defensive end maybe on base downs but then moves inside to rush. And that's the 49ers calling card and has been since they drafted DeForest Buckner. Let's go ahead and draft someone that maybe plays defensive end but really is better at rushing the pass from rushing the passer from the interior. Um, and, and so that's basically the the parade of players that they've been able to turn into, you know, players that go get really good money on, on another deal. And so I think that that makes the San Francisco 49ers a really desirable spot for some, you know, kind of talented, but uh, perhaps, you know, maybe players that haven't realized that potential as of yet. And Chris Kasurik really unlocks him, um, which is why I think that the, the player that I'm excited about this year that I think could meet that that role is Kamiko Ture. Um, he came from the Indianapolis Colts defensive end. He's one of those players that, like, you look at his pressure rate, which is more predictive than sack rate. That's why people overpay for Kerry Hyder. It's why they overpay for uh, Ezekiel Ansa is like the poster boy for you know sack chasing as opposed to pressure rate. Um, but he's the guy I think that's going to turn around and go get paid somewhere else after going on the Chris Kasurik rehabilitation plan. This episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink. 
your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink. Spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> so let's talk real quick about Raheem Mostert. I mean, is that how are you feeling about that one? I mean, because this was a guy that that – you know, bounced around. I mean, he was even with the Bears for a little bit before landing with the 49ers and really, you know, reviving or having his career uh, begin uh, out there. But it's like once he became somebody, he couldn't keep himself on the field and, you know, ends up missing most, if not all, uh, of last year. And, And now he's, you know, off to Miami to see if he can, you know, revive his career uh, once again. I mean, what, you know, he he found himself in San Francisco and now he's off somewhere else because he couldn't stay on the field. How how are you or how is the fan base feeling about losing him? Uh, I think those are two really good questions because I think the fan base would feel very differently about the way that I feel about losing Raheem Mostert. Sure, um, you know I, I think off the top, Raheem Mostert is a fantastic teammate and player and human. Like the guy's just a good locker room presence, super positive, and overall he's a guy. He's the kind of guy you want to have on your team. Yeah. which is, is good. It can't be said about everyone. And so I think that's why he's been able to stick around as long as he has in the NFL and, and get these chances. I think he's a hard worker. He's obviously physically gifted. And and he is someone I think that's a positive locker room presence. Now, I do think, and that's why I think a lot of fans are really bummed to see him go because he is very, he was productive in the Niners system. I think he was basically tailor-made for the 49ers system. Mm-hmm. And, and he would be successful um, more so than a lot of other backs have been in the Niners system. Um, but I think he is the poster boy for what happens in it, with running backs in the NFL nowadays. Mm-hmm. You don't need to chase you know, first-round running backs anymore. You can find a physically gifted running back that is kind of a bit more custom-made for your system and get production out of that player. But if they get so much so that you have to start paying them top-of-the-market contracts it's probably best to just go find another physically gifted player that fits your system because you can find Elijah Mitchells. You can find Matt Breida's. You can find Jeff Wilson's. You can find all of these players that were either undrafted or late round picks or free agents that are going to succeed in your system typically and specifically for Kyle Shanahan because of the way that you know he, he attacks offenses. And so I think that it's, it is – I'm very pro players getting money. I think they should get paid – all of the money in the whole wide world. I don't know why they don't have guaranteed contracts, so I'm happy that he's getting some money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of glad that the Niners aren't the ones that are paying it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, you you run into that sometimes where where you know you you got this player you absolutely love him. Uh, like for this year, our that example would be uh, Akeem Hicks. You know, I'm devastated to see him go. I'm sad that he's going to be in Tampa Bay. You know, he went someplace where he could you know late in his career get a shot at his. Uh, ring, try to, you know, piggyback off Brady and see if he can't uh, get himself a ring on his way out. When he's healthy, he's one of the best there is. But the last two, three seasons, that's been a few and far between thing. You know, you, you love the guy. And, and like you said, he's one of those guys you want to have on your football team. Fans love him, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the production on the field is there when he's on the field, but he's not on the field more than he is. So, you know, at one at some point, the rubber meets the road on these kind of things. And uh, unfortunately, with the new regime uh, coming in, uh, the timing couldn't have been worse as far as like when his contract came up. So he's off uh, to Tampa Bay to see if he can uh, win a ring and stay healthy with the uh, Buccaneers. And uh, we're moving on from there. So, yeah, and it's really tough because I think, you know, you, you think about the person, you think about what they mean for the organization. And Raheem Mostert was part of the resurgence for the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan in 2019 when they made the Super Bowl. And, right. and, and he is, I mean, he's a game-breaking talent at running back in this system. And you never want to lose a player like that. But you're absolutely right. You know, the, the and, and it's cliche as all holy get out in football, but, you know, the best ability is availability. And, right. You know, I think for the Niners, they're seeing that with D Ford, right? You can want that player to be exceptional and you can kind of gamble on them being healthy. But with Raheem Mostert, I mean, he has a, you know, he had a broken forearm, he had a knee issue, 
even in that 2019 year, you know, he was kind of coming back from injury, and that was the the longest string of games that he had strung together. So, at some point, you just have to think to yourself, you know, this was great, and it was great while it lasted, but it, it's time to get healthier at the position. So let's go over the the draft real quick. No first round pick because of the. Um Trey Lance uh, deal. Are you kidding me? Trey Lance is a, is a first-round pick. Of He's course. He's a first-round pick in, in a, like, three years straight. Right, and just like Justin Fields was our first-round pick for the second year in a row uh, this year as well. So um, so I know where you're coming from on that one. But as far as being able to make selections on the day, the first one didn't come until 61. You took Drake Jackson, a linebacker out of USC, and then uh, Tyrion Davis-Price out of LSU, another running back. Um, and then wide receiver Danny Gray and SMU, those were your day two picks. Anything we expect from from these guys? I'm sure that the running back will probably get some get some reps. You know, it, it clearly Kyle Shanahan does not listen to me, right? Uh, or just about <laughs> anyone else when it comes to picking running backs at the top of the draft. But uh, he, you know, they they loved what they think they're going to get out of Tyrion Davis Price. I, I think they overpaid for a running back again, but. They want to bolster the position. They want to add some more power. Clearly, I think this is more of an indictment uh, on the third-round running back that they drafted last year out of Ohio State, Trey Sermon. But, you know, that's that I think is the kind of head-scratcher pick, especially because they have uh, a lot of needs. And, and with Alex Mack retiring uh, just, I think, earlier this week officially, um, they, they have a, a big need on the interior of that offensive line. But I think Drake Jackson was a really, really good value pick based on what the 49ers need and and who was available on the board. I mean, this is the player who, uh, the the word that describes him is bendy. Um, he's mm. got ridiculous ankle flexibility. You know, he, he's like, he's big, but he is fast, quick twitch. Um, and it's what the Niners need because that's what they thought they were getting from D Ford. But D Ford looks like he's on his way to retirement and or being released because he just, again, cannot stay on the field. Um, but this is a player that, he had, you know, he's got that physical profile and, and if he really, and he had some kind of like being played in different positions in college and so they asked him to bulk up and get down and bulk up and, and that kind of contributed to maybe him falling a little bit. So especially with that defensive line coach, we talked about Chris Kasurik and what he gets out of players. If he can unlock the talent of Drake Jackson, we might be talking about him as one of the best picks in in the draft over not just day, day two, but like the overall in the draft um, because mm. he's he's that physically gifted. And then it looks like for your day three picks, looks like your scouts got some work in because you got University of Texas San Antonio, you got Toledo, you got Fordham, you got UCF, and not those smallest schools in the world, but not exactly where you go looking for top NFL uh, prospects. So are we are we looking for much from these from these guys in in day three? Uh, you know, I, I don't think that you should expect too much from any day three pick. I think <laughs> the, the the expectation that a lot of fans have that like every GM should get an all pro at every part of the draft, I think is, is just a well, bit much. You but, know, it's it's funny you mentioned that, Oscar, because you're talking to a guy who's who's now fired GM specialized in finding absolute gems in the fifth round. I mean, we like year after year, he found at least one player that was going to be a starter or a key contributor. Like last year, it was Larry Borum. The year before that, it was uh, Travis Gibson. The year before that, it was, uh, you know, Darnell Mooney. And I mean, like every time we enter the fifth round, it's like, hey, this is apparently where Ryan Pace earns his money because he's pulling, you know, pulling Darnell Mooney and Travis Gibson out of his ass every single year, one year after another. Eddie Jackson and Tariq Cohen in the fourth round a few years, uh, a few years ago, and, and you know, and things like that. So. You know, I know it might sound crazy to everyone else, but as a Bear fan, it's like, yeah, you're supposed to find, you know, a day one starter in the fifth round. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, well, I, what's funny is the Niners are living in that same life because you think of like the 2017 draft, which was John Lynch's first draft, and you've mm -hmm. got the top of the draft with two first round picks, neither of which are on the team. Right. And your fifth round pick is George Kittle. Right. Yeah. And, and then you get, you know, DJ Reed, who has been, you know, he's turned into a, a good coverage player, not for the Niners because they cut him. Um, but, you know, you've got DJ Jones with a six round pick. You know, the, the late round area is where they make their money. And, and I think the, the interesting question is that you ask yourself why. Like, what is it about these late round picks that allow them to kind of almost draft freer? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it's because they are usually chasing something specific. 
they're either chasing production or they're chasing physical traits because that late in the draft, you're not going to get both. Right. If you've got a player who is physically gifted, who's produced, especially at high levels, um, and, and who is technical, that's Nick Bosa. Right. right? And, and that's why he goes second overall. That's why those players go that high. Um, and so I think that when you get into the back end of the draft, now it becomes about drafting for something that you know they can do and then either maximizing that or kind of bolting onto it. And, and with the Niners in the back half of the draft, what they're chasing is, is athleticism. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Samuel Womack, he's got uh, some pretty good ball skills. You've got, uh, especially Tariq Castro-Fields, he, I think he ran like a 4-3-something 40. Um, like, he is another toolsy guy that if he can put it together is going to be a, a good draft pick. Now, again, it's, you know, late in the draft. So the chances of that happening, not high. But if you're going to bank on something, you bank on athleticism. Um, and, and so I think that there may even be some undrafted guys that the Niners have signed that might do... Well, um, they need they need interior line help. Alex Mack retired. Lincoln Tomlinson is now a Jet. Um, you know they they need a right guard, and so they're going to be a little kind of swishy in the middle, and and so I think that's likely where you may be looking for some production from that late round crop of players. All right, so let's move on to the uh, the schedule as we're uh, running short on time uh, here. You know, hey, we're going to be talking again soon because uh, we kick off week one. Uh, you guys are coming out to Soldier Field again. I guess that's an NFL mandate that if San Francisco and Chicago are getting together, it's got to take place in Chicago, or it's not happening at all. <laughs> kicking off the uh, kicking off the year with you guys, and you're home for the Seahawks. Then back to back primetime games at D- Denver on Sunday night, home with your first matchup for the Rams on Monday night. Interesting opening month for the Forty ers this year. Yeah, you know it's going to be, I think, an interesting schedule. And it's going to be one that, you know, the schedule does dictate a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that you can, you can kind of predict what you think preseason are going to be the rough patches of your schedule. It doesn't really clarify until the, the end of the year. But I do think the Niners have an okay schedule. Like, it looks kind of tough on paper, but I do think, you know, where they finished in the division helps. Um, I, I do think that overall um, that they're in an okay place you know you, they still got some things to figure out overall but the schedule doesn't seem like it's it's so terribly daunting this year that they um, that they can't actually make some moves yeah I feel like it's a very balanced schedule because on one hand you have the AFC West that's daunting you got the Chiefs the Chargers uh, you know even the Raiders and you know the, the Broncos uh, you know, are, are trying to find their way back. They have Russell Wilson now. So you're going to get a tough quarterback matchup in all four uh, of those games. But you also have the NFC South where it's Tampa Bay, maybe the Saints, and then everybody else uh, under, you know, with the Falcons and the uh, the Panthers struggling to find their own identity. I mean, you know, kind of feel like uh, Matt Rule's in a lame duck year uh, down out there in Carolina, if you ask me. But you know, but your 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 third your same place opponents. You got us. You have the Washington uh, Commanders, and then who is the other? Who's your AFC uh, team this year? I'm trying to see if I can pick it out on the schedule. I think it's likely going to be the Raiders. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, no, that you you play the entire NFC oh, AFC, AFC West. Yeah. Um. So I'm trying to pick out who the other AFC team is. You got the Chiefs, Chargers, Dolphins. That's who it is. The Dolphins. They're the other. Uh, same place. No, that's right. No, so, one, no one remembers them. Right. We're gonna we're gonna face uh you know basically ourselves. But uh, even at that point, you know the Dolphins are in the middle of a three game homestand there for the Forty uh, ers Like after the bye week, you play f- like six out of the last nine games at home because you you go you know, you're at Chicago, you're home for the Seahawks, you're at Denver, home for the Rams on Monday night, then at Carolina, at Atlanta, home for the Chiefs, and then done with the Rams by week eight. So as opposed to having all of your games in the second half of the year with the Rams, your both matchups with the Rams out the window by week eight going into the bye. I mean, that's a total flip from what it was last year. I do think that you can tell a little bit what the NFL thinks is going to happen based on what they do in the back half of the year. Mm-hmm. And and I think by by them having the the Niners play Arizona the last week, I think it tells you that they think that, you know, the Rams are probably going to be near the top of the of the division again. And really, it's going to be maybe a battle for two and three with Arizona and there may be a wild card on on the line. And and I think they may not be wrong. Um, 
you know, I, I think the Niners are still talented enough to be in the playoff mix. A lot depends on what happens with Trey Lance and his development. But mm-hmm. I, I do think that that, you know, it's not a bad gamble by the NFL. And and I like, you know, the balanced bye week. They did not have a balanced bye week last year. Um, they don't travel like an exorbitant amount. West Coast teams generally do travel more than non-West Coast teams. But it's it's not terrible. I think getting the AFC West is nice because right. you don't have to travel that far. Las Vegas isn't that far. Denver's not that far. You know, so I do think you look at the schedule right now and you think to yourself, okay, which of these games are likely like I'm, I'm going to go ahead and maybe not put money on the Niners. It's the Green Bay Packers. Oh, wait, that's preseason. Never mind. Um, it's going to be the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Right. And, and I mean, you look at the rest of the schedule and it's like, the Niners have a path to win almost every game. Maybe the Chargers, if you're really, really bullish on, on what they're doing. But, mm-hmm. you know, they, they've had the Rams number. They beat them twice last year. Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, especially if the Carolina Panthers trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, probably <laughs> going to make that team uh, a little bit worse. Just kidding. Um but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that's yeah. it. Every, every other game, I think, is, is winnable. Uh, but a lot so, of these games you know, you're talking it, about, they're home games. The Chiefs are a home game the buccaneers are a home game the dolphins like i said the 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 dolphins are in the middle of a of a three game home stretch you come off the bye you're home for the chargers you're on the road for arizona on monday night football then three games at home miami tampa bay then seattle which is the thursday night game then you're you're home again then you're at seattle which is the thursday night game then home for washington at the raiders home for the cardinals to close it out six of the last nine games uh, are are at home so i mean you know, the 49ers be able to get used to those warm Cali temps uh, out there on the West Coast in, in December and January because uh, they're not going to be anywhere. They're going to have to worry about weather for a while. You know, the only I mentioned travel, which is interesting. The only place that is kind of a pain in the neck is, is the Mexico City game against the Cardinals. Um, oh, is that in Mexico City? Hike, but OK, yeah, it is. It's that's right. It's the international that's, so, I mean, game. you've got that right before the three game homestand. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, that trip. I wouldn't say is appreciably longer than a trip to the East Coast. Right. You know, so it's 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 one of those things where it's like even that trip isn't terrible, all things considered. But it is, you know, much prefer to go to Arizona as opposed to Mexico, Mexico City. But, you know, it's the, the Cardinals want to give up a home game and then that works out for them. And they also kind of have it scheduled like your two furthest road trips are back to back. So it almost feels like it'll be one of those where, you know, the, the 49ers come out for the Carolina game and then they, you know, set up shops someplace out there. Uh, you know, in in the southeastern area because you're at Atlanta the following Sunday. You know, it just feels like, you know, the 49ers would be camping out. They won't come home for two weeks because they got two road games out there on the East Coast back to back. But it's like after that, everything else is is uh, short. You know, the Rams, you got the Cardinals, yeah. the Seahawks and Vegas. Those are all shorter road trips you know uh, and everything you got those two bad ones those two far east coast ones out of the way right off the bat yeah i would say that the schedule for the niners is probably a little easier than it was last year Mm -hmm. and i mean the team's probably a little worse than they were last year so i you know i think it it lines up well i'm hoping that's not true as far as we're concerned (laughs) When you, but you're also catching us at the right time. Week one, where you know we probably don't know ourselves uh, very well. You know, I'm I'm I wonder how much Eberflus is going to use uh, the preseason uh, to get this team uh, ready. Um, I'm interested to see how that goes because everybody treats the preseason like it's taboo. You put your players out there, you're going to ruin your season, uh, kind of thing. So I'm interested to see how. Uh, they're going to do so real quick as we week, one, uh, week one's always funky though week it one's is super funky you it think is. about like chip kelly i mean he he stomped on the vikings week one yeah you know and then like won one other game right. jim tom sula won his first game i think week one especially with the new head coach might actually lean advantage new head coach unless sure. you're yeah. steve spurrier and you empty your entire clip in the preseason um but but i think it, it might lean you know new coach because you, you don't really know what you're going to get you can't really look at a bunch of film right um from you know with that with that uh, with that person as a head coach and so you know it, it'll be it's always a little wonky so it'll be interesting to see what happens week one all right so as we wrap things up here real quick on on Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, it sounds like you're not going to miss him uh, if the 49ers do deal him. Do you do you think there is a destination for him? It, but it's definitely full steam go, uh, full steam ahead with uh, with Trey Lance for 2022. Correct? 
It is, yeah. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Brian Greasy is the new quarterbacks coach for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. He, in all of his media availability, he talks about how he, you know, the quarterback room is so great. He talks about Trey Lance. He talks about Nate Sudfeld, and he talks about Brock Purdy. Does not mention Jimmy Garoppolo. He was asked by a reporter whether or not he has talked to Jimmy Garoppolo, and the answer is no. <laughs> so the quarterback's coach hasn't even talked to Jimmy Garoppolo. Wow. I think that tells you what's going to happen. He's either going to be traded, um, and I think prime destination is likely um, Carolina, and because I think the Seahawks are the other destination, but I don't know that the Niners will trade him in the division. Right. And so the, as the chips fall, really, it's it's kind of Carolina at this point, and, and they're going to wait till he's healthy and then see who's going to race to the bottom between Baker Mayfield and um, and the Niners. And I think it would make a lot of sense to me if Baker ends up in Seattle, mm-hmm. which I would hate, but whatever. Right. And and then the, the Jimmy goes to Carolina. And, and I think it may be for, you know, uh, a conditional, you know, maybe like it. I think they'd be lucky if they got a day duplic at this point. Honestly, at this point, a ham sandwich for Jimmy Garoppolo would, would be enough. Not because... <laughs> Not because I think he's that bad of a quarterback. Like I do think he's better than than Sam, the Sam Darnolds of the world, and I sure. do think he gets a lot of crap even from people like me because he's not in the upper stratosphere. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is just in that glut of average quarterbacks, and and his unique form of average is one that you know is really good at attacking the middle of the field, is really good at, at getting the ball out quickly. Um, and is not good at attacking deep or the sideline, but he does have a penchant for these kind of boneheaded turnovers. And and there's lots of ways to get to average in the NFL. Um, and and that's just his way of getting to average. And and I do think that he is good enough to get you to a Super Bowl. He's good enough for a team to win with. And at this point, you know it's not going to be him, so anything that you get is going to be good, which right. is why I think, man, if you can do fifth-round pick, don't care. Sixth-round pick, doesn't matter, right? Anything that you can get at this point is a bonus. And if it turns out, that the musical chairs have fallen. The worst thing I think the team can do is keep him and pay him. Right. His additional $20, $25 million of cap space is more valuable to the team than keeping him as a backup quarterback that is going to be a really, really awkward space for the team and for Trey Lance. Right. I think you can roll over cap space in the NFL. So if they don't use it, they roll it over, and they're going to need that money to sign, I don't know, Nick Bosa or uh, Debo Samuel. Or any of the other good players that they've got, you know, kind of coming up. And, and so you think about that stuff. You think about rolling it over. You think about emergency funds. If you feel like you need to make a midseason trade, then that's good. If you think about, I don't know, signing a center like J.C. Treader, who's right. still out there. I think he's still out there um, because Alex Mack retired. J.C. Treader was the second highest graded center uh, based on pro football Focus's grading last year. And he's out there. And the Niners are sitting on $25 million that they ha- could have at their disposal as soon as Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy if they do nothing more than cut him. Like that, that is his parting gift. Jimmy Garoppolo has given us Nick Bosa because he got injured. Uh, and now he could get you uh, J.C. Treader if he just kind of goes. Uh, and so that's, that's why I think that they, they can't keep him. It right. would be cap malpractice and team building malpractice to keep him and squander two years of a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal when that is the most valuable asset in football amen all right so real quick before i let you go um not asking for a prediction but what what do you think ballpark wise the the record could be for the 49ers this year man i think the range of outcomes is so wild mm-hmm. because the range of outcomes is really tied to trey lance right and, and i could absolutely see a world where trey lance is you know still working through some things and, and is probably the reason you lose a couple of games but is also the reason you win a couple of games and, and kind of goes bombs away and, and you end up, you know, you end up near the bye, kind of in the thick of it. You know, you lose a couple of games, you should you should win and then vice versa. And then you get to the end and, and you're, you know, basically jockeying with Seattle. You beat Washington, you beat Seattle. You know, maybe you have a hard fought one against Vegas. And then that Arizona game is is the difference between, you know, maybe nine wins, I, I think 10 wins. Man, I'd be surprised if they got the 10 wins, um, you know, but like right in that area, I think is doable because yeah. of the coaching staff, because of the talent. I could also see them winning five games, you know, <laughs> like if, if Trey Lance ends up just like not being it and his accuracy issues continue and he's not progressing, um, I could see them winning five or six games. Um, so it, it really is tied to Trey Lance. And, and I do think that their ceiling is probably somewhere around 10 wins. I think they are good enough to make the wild card, especially with that third wild card slot but it all depends on what happens with Lance. All right. So we'll take it from there. 
Uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, summer. Enjoy your vacation uh, next week, and uh, we look forward to having you back to, to preview week one and get this year kicked off. Thanks. It's always a pleasure, Larry. Oscar Aparicio helping us preview the 2022 San Francisco 49ers. As always, want to thank my guest, Oscar Aparicio, for being on the show, talking to us about the San Francisco 49ers, one of the more intriguing teams in a very tough division. You know, if the, the Cardinals can figure out a way to bounce back or maintain, actually, you know, they've kind of been working their way up uh, in this uh, era under uh, Clingsbury to get them, or Cliffberry, whichever it is, I'm, I'm kind of scrambled right now, but... Um, it's Cliff Kingsbury. That's who it is. The, uh, but the, each season has been an improvement on the one before it. You know, to statistically, that's going to be tough this year uh, to do better than they did uh, last season. But, you know, can they pull it off? But the real thing is, and you, you heard me talk about this with the What's Up Falcons guys, that, um, you know, I definitely think uh, I didn't watch last year with the Colts when they were in season hard knocks last year, but the Cardinals are that team this year. And the reason that I want to check that one out is because of what the Cardinals have done in their time under Cliff Kingsbury. And that is to typically get off to somewhat of a faster start and then fade in the second half of the year. I mean, guys, we made the playoffs in 2020 because the Cardinals went from having one of the better records in the league to fading all the way down to eight and eight. So we did better than they did. You know, we had the tiebreaker uh, over the Cardinals somehow, like in some kind of, I think, uh, conference matchup or something like that. And then last year, after they beat us, they were what, nine and two, 10 and two after they beat us in Chicago uh, last year. But they finished uh, 11 and six, something like that. And, you know, were destroyed in the playoffs by the event Super Bowl champion uh, LA Rams. But nonetheless, Talk about another fade. They, when they left Chicago, they were 10-2. and two. Their victory over us made them 10-2. and two. And after that game, they went like 1-4 down the stretch to just barely make the playoffs and then got as early an exit in, in, in a crazy wild card, in a, you know, in a, in a, in a wild card matchup against the team they played twice and I think they beat. Well, they split with the Rams. But the Rams embarrassed them off the field uh, in that playoff game. I mean, they looked absolutely terrible. So I think I'm going to tune in to, to the Cardinals' hard knocks just to see if this happens again, especially if the Cardinals start fast. You know, like here we go into the last six, seven games of the season or whenever it is they're going to pick it up with the Cardinals. And they're in first place in the AFC West. They've beaten the Rams. They've beaten the 49ers. They're doing well. Uh, they're the first or second seed in the NFC. And then watch because I want to see what it's going to look like behind the scenes if Klingsbury and company fade down the, down the stretch once again. Like even if they finish 10 and 6, you know, 10 and 7, 11 and 6 and make the playoffs again, and if they make another early exit, will Kingsbury be fired? Even though he's had one of the more successful runs in Arizona Cardinal history, will they let him go because his team is not playing well at the most important time of the season? Yeah, it's great to start 7 and 2. But when you finish 11 and six, that's not good. You know, to lose more games than you won going down the stretch in the second half of the year, you know, and it's a, and it's a habit, a, a, you know, a, a habit that they're forming, a pattern, if you will, you know. So I definitely want to check that one out. And, um, you know, how are the Seahawks going to look now without Russell Wilson? I think everyone's expecting a huge, you know, step back uh, from them. But can the Rams repeat? Can the 49ers, uh, you know, build off of their, um, you know, their, their success in the playoffs? And can they do that with a new quarterback starting for the really for the first time? He started a couple of games last year, but for real, as the day one starter, can they maintain that success with him uh, at the helm? So we'll be we'll keep a close eye on them and we get the 49ers up first. So we'll uh, we'll find out right off the bat in Trey Lance's first real start as the quarterback of the 49ers what that's going to uh look like. So anyway, we close the book on our same place opponents. We now move on to our divisional 
opponents in the first division is the AFC East. Uh, Michael Nania from the Cool Your Jets podcast will be on with us on Tuesday to talk about the New York Jets and where are they going to be in year two under Robert Sala, year two for Zach Wilson. They've made a lot of acquisitions. They're getting a lot of people back healthy that they lost down the stretch uh, last year. What is it going to look like for the Jets? Will they be able to uh, you know, bounce back? Will they be able to improve? Because they look like they made all the right moves. They had a hell of a draft. They signed some really good pre- people during free agency. The Jets are poised to make a move, but it's the Jets. Can they do it? That's the real question. We talked to Mike Nanny about that and on Tuesday, and then we'll come back next Thursday with the Miami Dolphins and so on through the AFC East before moving on to the NFC East with the Cowboys, the Commanders, the Eagles and the Giants. So lots to cover. And then, of course, we have our our actual divisional opponents of the NFC North to wrap things up. And our friends Jeremy Reisman, Evan Western, Chris Gates all coming back. And then, of course, Lauren Cox will be with us at the very end to preview the Bears and what we can look forward to in 2022. Or in this case, what we're hoping for, what we hope to see. Because there's still a lot of question marks, a lot of uh, balls up in the air for the for the Bears uh, going into this season. But it's going to be interesting no matter what, or at least we all hope it will be. So anyway, guys, that does it for the same place opponents. We start with the AFC East on Tuesday with the Jets. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.